This is the Stories of Asia podcast, sharing deep insights on career and personal development through stories from people all over Asia. In today's episode, you're in for a treat. We got together with two amazing, well-established women who shared their tips on how to tell your story to build your career. This is the first of two parts of the Tell Your Story, Inspire a Journey workshop. just quickly introduce our two amazing leaders, our speakers for today. We have Kavita Hans, General Manager of Diageo Philippines, and we have Teresa Norton from Starmaker Hong Kong, right? So for a start, maybe can we get Teresa and Kavita, maybe Kavita first, right, to share a bit about yourself. And for those who are not familiar with what you do and not familiar with Diageo, for example, do you mind sharing a bit more about what Diageo does as well? Over to you, Kavita. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for having us and uh, really looking forward to the rest of this uh, workshop there were some great tips and structure there to storytelling I'll try and embed them into what I'm about to share now maybe um so briefly um you know before I go into career and stuff I'll share a bit about myself um you may take away from my accent I'm from the UK um I'm a proud British Indian my parents were immigrants to the UK uh many many decades ago having um been born and bred outside of India as well themselves. So, um, you know, before the age of 20, my dad had lived in three continents and uh, four countries. So, um, you know, come from quite a diverse uh, background. My dad, my parents were, you know, born and raised in East Africa for the majority of their earlier years. Um, and, um, you know, my brother and arrived in the UK. Um, so in terms of, you know, those early years, quite a struggle, not too dissimilar from, you know, a lot of immigrant stories, um, you know, but my parents really turned it around and what really helped them to turn it around quite early on, they realized that if they want a different outcome and they want to shape a different outcome for us as a family, um, they decided that going into business um, via taking a bank loan, the very first bank loan my father took was like £5,000, I think. But in that time, it was a lot of money. And they started their own business. So um, it was it was great, a really diverse upbringing. I grew up in a very small village called Bedhampton in southern England in Hampshire. We were the only brown family for miles and so what was really great about that, though, is my parents, you know, despite that being very strange for them, um, really embedded into the local community. Um, you know, my dad was an employer, so we, we used to employ like local kids. It was it was completely legal. Don't worry to do paper rounds. That was a very cultural thing. People used to get their newspapers delivered. Um, you know, he'd go into the pub across the road. Um, after work for drinks to mingle with the community, even though that's really not normal where he came from. You know, my mum, um, um, who it thinks it's important to have faith, we used to go to the church across the road um, after school. So really diverse um, upbringing. And later on, um, you know, in life, my uh, as uh, as more people who looked at, uh, looked like us moved to the nearby cities, my dad actually helped form um, an Asian um, community um, and an association, which he still uh, is part of as a treasurer. And it was during this time that I really embraced the Indian side of my culture um, because nobody in school, you know, et cetera, looked like me. And this is where I met other kids who were also second, third generation, uh, you know, British Indians. And this is where I found my love for everything Indian, including clothes, the food. Um, I was chatting to a colleague yesterday about Navratri, which is a celebration, Diwali. Um, so, um, and then, you know, quite early on, I was, um, I'm using the word allowed, but I, 
literally pestered my dad into, um, you know, seeing his home country. He grew up in Kenya. And so, you know, at the age of 16, 17, uh, from memory, that was my first trip solo. I was like on the, you know, on a plane going there by myself. And so all of these influences have really helped shape who I am. Um, but when it comes to career, because we had a family business, you know, people laugh when I tell them I started working before the age of 10, really, in my dad's shop and helping them out. They, they worked very long hours. And so my brother and I always helped. But um, I always knew I wanted a bit of independence. And I was like obsessed with the with the reps that used to come in and talk about their brands, etc. And they were great storytellers. And so, you know, obviously wanting to you know sell us something. Um, and so at the age of 14, uh, uh, that's when it's legal in the UK to go into employment. I went and sought part-time jobs. So I've done waitressing. I've worked as in customers. I was not a very good waitress, by the way. And, and hence why it was, you know, probably, uh, uh, hence why it was a part-time job. Um, you know, I worked in customer service um, and, um, you know, also helped out in the shop. I've worked in retail, for example, top shop, et cetera. Um, and it was through, it was, I, I truly believe it was through, having those experiences, it wasn't so much about the employment or, you know, having pocket money. It was genuinely wanting to meet people outside of my small little village and going into the city every weekend. Um, and it was through those experiences that um, I truly believe that's how I managed to land my first job at Mars UK from university. And I truly believe that that's what differentiated me from, you know, you know, hundreds of applicants, because they were intrigued, you know, why, why I wanted to, you know, do that, and why I did that, it wasn't so much the norm in those days, very much is now, I guess, um, and that's what set me aside, so, and then from that, Sam, pretty much um, have worked in um, FMCG companies, um, I didn't set out to be a, a general manager, um, and I've, through, through brilliant mentoring and coaching, um, I've uh, really found my way, you know, especially in the years that I've uh, been at Diageo, and that's how I've ended up, um, you know, managing multiple businesses around Middle East Asia, for example. And I've worked for some amazing brands and with some amazing colleagues as well. Thank you. Thanks, Kavita. That is a very nice background story, actually. And actually, one takeaway that I have is that you need to be interesting, get people interested in you, and that's where a lot of opportunities get unlocked. And you also mentioned quite a fair bit in terms of things like mentoring and stuff. So I think that's something we can explore a little bit further. So with that, I'll hand the time over to Theresa. So in on topic of mentoring, it's quite relevant because she does a lot of executive coaching as well. Right. So Theresa, over to you a bit about yourself and what you do. Great storytelling, Kavita. Um, I realize I have like a rainbow on my face, which is kind of groovy. I've got <laughs> I've got a, a, a crystal thing that I, I have hung in the window. So um, that, that's what that is. Listen, um, my background, is, you know, I grew up in, in San Francisco, uh, California. My parents were older when they had me. My brother's 12 years older than I am, and there's nobody in between. So even amongst all the cousins and everything, I was like the baby. And um, the universe kind of went, when I arrived and I also had a pension for theater. So um, all of this attention and all of this uh, love and support um, encouraged my theatrical bent. And I worked in my first job in professional theater was with the San Francisco Spring Opera. And then um, my boyfriend at the time and I decided to take an adventure and we moved to Guam of all places, which all of our friends were like, really? Guam? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> but 
he had grown up, you know, traveling a lot, uh, Joe had, and, um, and Guam seemed like a, uh, you know, sort of a, it was far enough away from the US and it was still, you know, it's where America's day begins. It's an American territory, so we could work there. And uh, I ended up getting my very first job in radio. Well, I have to kind of jump back a little bit in my story and say that uh, there was a morning guy on the radio station that I used to listen to, uh, K-San, in, um, in San Francisco when I was in high school. I loved this guy. He was so theatrical. He used a lot of characters and he get the audience involved in a lot of things. I thought he was great. And he was hosting a um, New Year's Eve gig at some bar. I mean, we were too young to be going to this bar, but we went anyway. And I went up and I started talking to him. And he started talking to me and we were exchanging these character voices. And he said to me, God, you'd be great in radio. And I looked at him at 19 with this kind of arrogance and said, <laughs> I'm an actor. And then two years later, I'm working at a radio station in Guam. So, you know, this haughty idea that, um, no, no, no radio for this gal, you know, I'm an actor, ended up being, you know, a wonderful career opportunity for me. And I got into doing voice work, voiceovers for commercials. And I was working at this little radio station in Guam and the morning guy there was, had a lot of faith in me. And he said, you know, Teresa, you should be in a bigger market. You could work, you could work anywhere. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, I'll help you. I'll help you. And this was like the morning guy that everybody thought was a jerk because he, you know, he had such a big ego and everything, right? And, but he was so kind to me and he helped me. And I got one of the guys who was sort of a friend of our, in our posse, was a professional photographer, took the headshots and we put the little CV and the, the demo tapes together and sent them off. And I got responses from four radio stations in Hawaii that said, We'd like to hire you. So I ended up moving to uh, Honolulu and worked for a radio station there. And it's a very competitive market in Hawaii. Uh, they, you live and die by those, uh, those um, you know, the, the, the ratings there. It's very competitive. At least at that time, everybody was, was listening to the radio and there were a lot of stations. So um, I, I learned a lot working there. I also, you know, I realize, I look back on my career and I think I got so many breaks. I got so many lucky breaks, you know, going in and getting a job in radio. You know, how did I audition for this job in radio? Because I thought, yeah, I'm an actor. I could act like a radio announcer. And that's what I did. Then after that, you know, I, I ended up um, marrying this fellow and um, he was in Hong Kong and I loved visiting him here and there was a professional theater company here so I could get back into theater again. So I had a radio show here. I did a lot of voiceover work for commercials and I, um, I also was working with a professional company that was had been started by some Brits who were in Hong Kong. So this was back in 1983. I have been in Hong Kong for almost 40 years. So it is very definitely my home. And um, so uh, I worked at, at a radio station called Commercial Radio, and I engaged a lot of theater, a lot of character voices. What I learned from that morning guy, I incorporated in my own show. And so I had a, uh, a lot of different characters. And, um, and then I, um, I stopped doing that, focused more on theater. And then I was offered another job by one of the guys who had started the radio station in, um, in Hawaii. And I worked for a different company here and I was doing the morning show. And when that job came to an end, it was the first and only time I'd been fired from a job in my life. And I, 
I was shocked. I was like, you're firing me? What are you, nuts? <laughs> I'm indispensable. I'm the morning gal, right? Nobody's indispensable. Believe me, nobody is indispensable. So here I was, you know, and because I was the morning person, there was a lot in the newspaper about this and the press was calling up. It was a very embarrassing situation for me. I just, ah, it was, it was a really tough thing for me to go through. And once again, you know, I got this amazing opportunity. Somebody from the newspaper, the South China Morning Post called me up and said, gee, we're so sorry to hear that you're not doing your radio show anymore. Love that show. Would you be interested in writing a column? I said, oh, I mean, I've never written a column before. I write for the theater, but they said, oh, you'll be great at it. I said, what do you want me to write about? They said, anything you want. And I said, are you going to pay me for this? And they said, yes. And I said, well, there's an offer you can't refuse, right? <laughs> okay. So the thing, I, you know, the, for writers, that whole thing of starting with a blank page is very daunting, right? Any of you who had to sit down and create something, it's those first lines that are tough. So what I decided to do was something that actually I realized my mother did because she wrote a recipe column when I was growing up. And I used the same opening every single week. And for seven years in the South China Morning Post, I had a column that began, I don't know, maybe I'm nuts, but, and then I would talk about whatever was going on in my life. And at that point in time, there wasn't anybody in Hong Kong who was writing with a personal voice. So this was a, like a groundbreaking thing to talk about my family, to talk about my kids. Sam, I know that you feature your, your child very much. You're an entrepreneur, <laughs> right? an entrepreneur parent and, um, you know, incorporating my, my real life into this column made it a very personal story that I was telling and talking every week about just what was on my mind and what was happening in my life. So uh, now we go ahead to where I am today. 20 years ago, I started uh, applying my, everything that I'd learned from radio, from newspaper and particularly from theater to working with corporate clients, with leaders on communication. And um, I've worked with Diageo in London. I've worked with a lot of different uh, companies, multinational companies and a lot of local companies here and in China. And six years ago, my son joined me in my business. So my business partner is half my age and my son. So we're a multi-generational uh, team uh, and, and also he's fluent in Mandarin, so we have a bilingual aspect to this. And um, it's been a fantastic, it's been an amazing journey. So that brings us up to date now. We employ theater and his background in psychology in helping people to um, authentically and effectively communicate their leadership and uh, tell their own stories. And with that, I will, and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> Thanks, Teresa. Thank you so much. So, so now you guys know why I invited these two amazing leaders on this topic. Tell your story and inspire a journey. They tell really good stories. And that's why I wanted to kind of lead on from this topic itself to maybe Kavita, right? You know, from a storytelling perspective, from a corporate level itself, you know, any practical tips that you can share with our audience? How do you tell stories that are purposeful, that can drive agenda, that can drive proper messages? And any tips around this that you can share with us perhaps? Um, yes, I mean, in my, I'm still on a journey, you know, I don't, I don't believe your personal brand or, 
you know, the, the skill set that you uh, that you gather in terms of storytelling, that journey ever really ends. So I've learned already a lot from both of you today. So thank you. And so I'm still on that journey. And, you know, I can share some life tips of what, you know, I would have done differently, perhaps, and, you know, what's worked for me um, uh, through that learning process. And if we go back to you know, uh, something that most of us will have done in our career um, in some way, shape, or form, it's interviewing. And that's the perfect opportunity to tell a story. Um, I, you know, I've interviewed quite a bit over the last few years. Few years. I haven't given so many interviews, which is, a, which is a good thing. But, you know, and when you, a lot of interviewees will, the first question you sometimes get asked is, tell me a bit about yourself. Mm. And, really listen to that question right because they're not asking you to reel off your cv in chronological order we we have your cv in in front of us we can check also linkedin profiles now um you know that's the perfect opportunity to really add flavor and color um really connect with your interviewee if you've done your research hopefully you'll know a bit about them so you can bring in elements of your backstory to really make that connection you know firsthand um and be consistent, uh, you know, uh, uh, as well with that. It takes a lot of practice. And, you know, one suggestion I have is this is something that, of course, you can practice on your own, but it's also great to really sh start shaping that story with a mentor. Um, and uh, interviews are one of the best places to bring that to, to life. I think that really sets you apart from your competition, um, gives you that edge and really upfront helps to you know helps to form a view of who you are what your passions are what drives you um and you don't have to tell your whole backstory you know you'd be there all day otherwise but just bringing a little element elements in something that can even connect you to the organization that you're working for um or the person in front of you has, has um, helped me in the past sam and um during interviews if i'm ever asked to give feedback now um i somehow try to incorporate that for those candidates that you know um have been quite just more black and white or traditional in their storytelling so, so let's talk a bit about this interview concept. So like you mentioned, interviews are a very great place to tell stories, to kind of shine a little bit. So how do we strike a balance between telling just enough versus, you know, telling too much or not having enough, you know, connection with the, the interview itself? What, what's the take on this? Well, it's very hard to go off onto a tangent, isn't it? Especially when you've got such an open-ended um, open uh, question. And, and I think that's why it takes practice, Sam. Um, and, you know, you can you know, form a, form a network of two or three people that you really trust to give you open and transparent feedback. Um, and, you know, at first when you, because some, it's all about perception as well. And sometimes how you want to come across is not maybe how you do. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what's really worked for me, having a couple of people who I really trust, who I can run things by um, and start, start practicing that. And I think balance is everything so that you don't go off onto a tangent. Cool. So you mentioned a few points in terms of when it comes to all this interviews, for instance, right? Sharing your backstory, sharing what you're passionate about. Um, and so one important point that you mentioned is about listening and connecting, right? It's not just about preparing the script to just say everything you're prepared, but are you listening to what the interviewer is actually looking for? Are you connecting with them based on what they need? And I think this is some important points that Kavita, you mentioned. So thanks a lot for the practical tip over here. Um, how about Theresa? How about Theresa? Any thoughts around, you know, at a corporate level, um, based on people you have met and coached in that sense, any practical tips around storytelling for that? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, first of all, I would say it's, it's 
when I'm, co- and, I, and I've just been coaching a lot of people around this, people who are going back into the market who, you know, have had jobs for a long time and lost their jobs and now having to interview again. And I, I remind them that it is like the theater. You know, actors get very uncomfortable auditioning. You know, it's like, God, I hope I get it. But the fact of the matter is that director is thinking, God, I hope they're the right person. <laughs> I really don't want to audition 500 more people for this part. It's the same thing with interviews. They want you to do well. They don't want to have to look at 500 more people. They're hoping that you will be the one. So that is one thing that I would keep in mind. Another thing in terms of confidence, I would say, remember you're interviewing each other. You know, it's not just them judging you. You're going in there and making a, a judgment about whether these are, this is the place you want to work and these are the kinds of people you'd like to work for. I would also say that in terms of storytelling, um, uh, an exercise that you might find helpful uh, is to do a timeline of your career. And I say, start with the first paying job that you had, whatever that was. And you do a timeline. And what I ask my clients to do is draw lines up that represent your successes, your wins, the things that you, you're proud of. And then I'd like you to draw lines going down of the disappointments, the failures, the things you saw as mistakes. And then explore that in terms of your character. And this is where we talk about your brand. Who are you? What are the qualities that you possess? The qualities you possess that serve you and the qualities that you possess that sometimes may be the very same thing that get in your way. And to be able to look at those and know what the qualities are that you have, then you know how, you, how to manage and navigate your brand a little bit more securely. And when you go into interview, you can talk about the qualities that you have and what you've learned from the things that were difficult from you or the qualities that you had that contributed to those successes. And I think that that makes it a nice, simple way to talk without feeling that you're, you know, maintaining some humble arrogance, we might say. <laughs> so Teresa and Kavita, at this point in time, I think there's a commonality that both of you shared. That's in terms of that active listening bit, right? How do you listen? What they're looking for is a two-way conversation and then how you shape your character based on what Teresa said and how do you shape backstory based on what Kavita shared. So maybe Teresa first, right? How can we then listen to, or what can we do in terms of listening skills-wise, right? To find out what is the interviewer actually trying to find out? Or what is the story that they want to hear actually? Well, I have two, two suggestions here. Of course, improvisational theater is a great tool for um, getting present and being actively engaged with another person. Improv theater simply means theater that is not scripted. So if the two performers are on stage and there is no script, they have to actively be paying attention to what the other person is giving them so that they can build off of that. The other thing that I would say is a preparatory piece. And um, this in our sort of signature rock star presentations, which is what I did for Diageo is uh, it's, it's uh, influential presentation skills. And one of the things that I came up with, which was a tool that was originally used for actors to prepare for a scene in a play, um, is I call it the needs analysis. And what you're doing then is you're getting as many facts as you can possibly put together about the person that you're going to be talking to. And then identifying what it is that you want them to do, which in an interview would be hire you. And then you bounce what the facts are about that person off what it is that 
you want them to do to identify what do they need to feel in order to take that action. So sometimes when I'm doing this with uh, clients, as a, as a, when they're talking about doing sales pitches and things, and I'll say, do you, how much time do you spend actually paying attention to the facts about your audience, these people that you want to buy your product or you're trying to influence? Most people don't spend much time about that at all. They spend most of their time thinking about what they're going to say instead of thinking about what that audience needs to feel in order to act on the message. Cool. That, that's, that's very useful. So you mentioned about needs analysis, about a concept of improv theater. How about Kavita? Anything that comes to mind when it comes to listening during an interview, for instance? You know, a lot of the time, um, going back to Teresa's uh, earlier point around it's a two-way, it's a two-way thing. And if, you know, if I look back on my career or if I, you know, look back on, you know, the colleagues that I've worked with, what's worked well is that the um, candidate comes in just as well prepared to really delve deeper into the uh, organization. What are they? Of course, there's lots of information available in the public domain now. Who did you speak to outside of going into that interview? Do you have any connections at that organization? You can really start to get a flavor of it. And then you can confirm some of this, right? In, in, in the interview as well, by being really well prepared, so the pre-prep, but really listening and homing in on the couple of words that are important to you about culture and the place you're going to work. Um, what, how does it look to progress your career? Hearing the story of the person that's interviewing you as well, you know, if they're going to share that. And so I think that that stops you from having maybe, or working or making a decision um, about working somewhere that may not actually be right for you. You may really, really want that job. But when you go into that interview, what's worked very well for me is homing in on that. And within a few minutes, I will know whether I want to work in that organization or not, or whether I want to go and work in that team or not. And that comes from uh, listening. I really built this, this uh, I love to talk in case you can't tell, but I really <laughs> built this through proactive feedback much early on in my career. So my background is commercial. I'm a salesperson. And, you know, when you first start out, you know, you're so driven and motivated. You want to go in to, you know, to, to whatever you're selling and you want to do your pitch and you want to succeed, get the orders or, or whatever it is that you're requesting and then go. How many, how many times do commercial and salespeople actually really, really listen to what customers are telling us about their shoppers, about their consumers, about the shopper journey? And it was not until I got this feedback that I had that aha moment of I should be listening way more than I'm talking. Um, and that whether that's whether you're sitting in front of a customer or whether you're giving an interview, I think that's true um, to really home in on what somebody's trying to tell you. You know, I'm going to jump in here, and uh, Kavita, and just say one of the another one of the tools that I will share with my clients is think like a journalist. As the other person is talking, if you've got, you know, listen, I've got monkey brain, you know, it goes all over the place, and I'm thinking ahead, and I'm thinking back, and I'm, and to be able to think, if I had to write this as a story, like I'm, I'm interviewing them, then it helps you to stay focused, and you pick out key words that you want to build on. And then you can always go back and say to the person, you know, you mentioned earlier, blah, blah, blah. And, and remember that you can always talk about what you want to talk about. Answer the question. Yes, if they ask you a question, you need to answer it succinctly. But then you can use it as a springboard to talk about what you want to share with them about the qualities that you will bring to that job. 
I want to jump in quickly with a quick question over here, right? So is there a most memorable candidate that you have interviewed before? Of course, a successful candidate, not the kind of candidate that, that flopped badly, right? Because I'm asking this because I remember, right? The I think my very first internship that I got was quite interesting because when I went in straight away, right? What happened was I started asking the first question instead of the hiring manager asking me a question. And with that, he got very interested. He got very intrigued. He started sharing a lot of stuff. He asked me one or two questions and he started sharing more. And that was why he offered me the job on the spot itself. So I just want to ask, right, from your point of view, both of you, Kavita, you know, Teresa, um, was there anything around this storytelling bit where you felt stood out for you, at least from interview perspective? Something really sticks out, actually. And it was it was quite a few years ago, probably 10 years or so ago. And... Um, you know, it was a colleague and I that had, uh, we were in the office getting ready to interview an external candidate who was coming in and they didn't show up and they didn't show up, um, you know, when they were supposed to. So, um, you know, 10, 10, 15 minutes passed, didn't think, you know, too much of it at the time um, through the agency, just tried to get hold of them. And um, they, 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 they met with a personal incident that morning in their family, which they had to resolve and it just completely skipped their mind that they need to you know attend this interview and they asked if they could reschedule later on that day uh, believe it or not and so you know they came in later on that day and the way that they just immediately can you know bearing in mind you know nine times out of ten if you've been late for an interview whatever the circumstances you know you probably would would put it off for another day and i thought that was just so brave and then to come back in again and then also just share what happened that morning um, um, and, and share the backstory of why that happened. I mean, I'm not going to share it now, but mm. just with such authenticity, with, mm. you know, um, such emotion as well, that you, you know, they, 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 we offered them the job, actually. They, um, uh, you know, well, well, I think they're still working for that business, but, you know, they, you couldn't help but really connect to them. We, we had all been there when it came to the situation that they found themselves in. And, um, you know, when you're just trying to look after your family. And um, so, uh, yeah, it was just that real human connection. And, you know, if if you ever find yourself, what I, what I learned from that and the takeout of that, if I ever found myself in that situation, I think whoever is on the other end of the line is also a human being. And I'm, you know, normally I would give a corporate reason, you know, I, traffic or whatever and that's not the case actually so be authentic and um you know that really helped for that help that candidate so authenticity and also if i can quickly add on what kavita is saying is also the courage the mm, courage to yeah. tell the truth and present the truth to so, so that's a very important point Teresa, yourself i'm going to jump in with something i haven't you know really done a lot of uh, interviewing of other people we have a, a smaller organization and my, i didn't interview my son i kind of birthed him instead. But um, what <laughs> I am thinking about um, going to myself, going in to talk to clients, uh, HR clients about business. And a few years ago, when uh, Steve Wynn was opening the um, Wynn Resort in Macau, um, I had gone through the initial process of meeting a couple of the uh, the GM of the hotel that was going to be the hotel and everything, and I, I like doing that. I like Kavita. I enjoy talking, and I and, and I'm pr a pretty natural salesperson. I I enjoy that. But the thing was, everybody there was like crazy 
about, you know, who I hope Steve likes her. I hope he likes her. You know, if he doesn't like her, he's not going to hire her. And I thought, I'm going to go nuts with this. I, one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to get all caught up in this crazy, gosh, I hope he likes me, or I'm going to go the other way and go, you know what? I don't care if he does like me. And neither one of those is very good for going into a job interview. So I thought to myself, you know what I need to do? I need to go in curious. I want to go in curious to see if this is a good fit. And I would give, tell anybody who goes to a job interview, if you can tuck some curiosity into your pocket and try and let that be the emotion that takes you through there instead of... Um, a desire to either be liked or be annoyed. <laughs> it's it's helpful. So I think what both of you share is quite interesting because I don't think it's only applicable for interviews, right? I think, of course, the kind of context we're discussing now is more interviews, but think of it as every time we meet someone new, whether it's our new colleague, whether it's a client or whatever it is, it's an opportunity to showcase what your brand is all about, right? Like both of you said, it starts from listening, it uses a bit of concept of, you know, needs analysis, improv, it's about using a bit of a backstory to connect emotionally. So I think it's not about the interview. I think there's a context we're discussing, but how do we use these different tools, you know, that Teresa, that Kavita mentioned at every opportunity, especially when you're meeting someone for the first time, I think that's a very good way to, to start shaping the first impression in that sense. Thanks for listening to the Stories of Asia podcast. Be sure to follow us at the handle Stories of Asia Co. That's Stories of Asia Co. Also, don't forget to follow our founder, Sam Neo on LinkedIn for more career tips and insights as well. Check out the podcast description for the links. Thanks, and we'll see you in the next episode.